Welcome to today's issues. Join us for the next hour as we offer a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Ed Vitagliano. Well, good morning, everyone. I am Ed Vitagliano, sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I'm joined by Fred Jackson. Good morning, Fred. Who's sitting in for Ed Vitagliano? Yes. It's uh, it, it, musical chairs. Musical chairs. Yep. We get the job done. Mm-hmm. And then sitting in for you, Chris Woodward. Good morning, Chris. Yes. Brent told me I needed. I was needed. <laughs> yes. And you are needed. Steve Jordahl will be sitting in for nobody. <laughs> nobody sits in for Steve Jordahl. He'll That's be, right. He'll be here for the uh, 11.05 to 11.30 segment of this program. By the way, you can watch us do radio if you'd like. Normally, it's Facebook and YouTube. It's only Facebook because YouTube is punishing us. Um, we are, And we are groaning under the strain of their punishment. But they went back a couple of years and found some videos of today's issues when we talked about the election and they didn't like what we said so we are punished being punished i think until tomorrow uh, brent creeley our producer said that we should be back on youtube uh by tomorrow and uh we are on uh facebook currently <laughs> we'll see um, I don't think we have any ivermectin stories, so we can't get. Oh, to there we go. Oh. <laughs> you just got us blocked, <laughs> just for saying the word. So anyway, if uh, you can click through, search for today's issues and click through, and you can watch us do radio. We also recommend that you get the AFR app, so you can listen to American Family Radio wherever you are. I I will I will throw out an idea. What if we legally change my name to Ivermectin Hydroxychloroquine? That way, when you introduce me. Um, you think that'll matter to these leftists? It is my name. It is how I identify. Don't judge me. <laughs> you identify as. Uh, Esquire. Uh, I, yeah, there we go. Esquire. First name, Iver. Yeah. Second name, Mectin. <laughs> uh, yeah, folks, listen, you got to laugh about it because mm-hmm. uh, otherwise you might say something when you work in news ugly. you got to find something to laugh about but nowadays you do yes absolutely pretty sure i've had three breakdowns but anyway three breakdowns you're pretty sure well you know what you can take for that <laughs> <laughs> it's not fda approved <laughs> no no it's not all right uh um chris uh ivy yeah uh what's uh what's the leading story in in your mind well here? let's begin with reaction uh yesterday uh afternoon to the trial involving uh the former clinton 2016 campaign lawyer michael sussman uh this was the first of what appears to be three cases uh that the so-called durham investigation is uh bringing to court and yesterday uh clinton campaign lawyer michael sussman was acquitted of lying to the fbi uh, during that Durham investigation. Um, some people were not surprised. Others were shocked. Uh, looking at tweets from representatives like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they say, you know, everybody should expect this when you're tried in the swamp, stuff like that. I've got a lot of sound bites here on this case, but let's begin with this one. And by the way, you can read more about this verdict at AFN.net. So let's begin with this soundbite. I've got attorney J. Christian Adams talking to AFN about the Sussman verdict, clip one. That's part of the problem with cases brought in D.C. is, you know, the whole town is a swamp town. And either you get people who, I mean, I think that some of the jurors, like their kids knew each other. And another one, like two or three of them were Hillary donors. And 
I mean, sorry, you're not going to get a conviction when that happens. You know, Fred, uh, my understanding of the um, the legal system and, and jury trials uh, almost totally comes from watching Law and Order uh, <laughs> and Blue Blood, Blue Blue Bloods. But um, no, uh, you know, the uh, defense attorney, prosecuting attorney, each get to strike a certain number of jurors that mm-hmm. they don't want, and then then you can't strike anymore. Yep. So you wind up getting. Uh, jurors who may be biased, and all you can do is ask them if they can be unbiased and to judge according to the facts and evidence. And if they're if they're not going to do that, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So, uh, like um, Jay Christian Adams was just saying, um, having uh, people who are on the jury who were donors to the Clinton campaign, uh, that's probably not going to get you a fair jury trial no it's the environment you know uh donald trump uh is pretty well batting a thousand now on the way he handled himself the way he described the politics of washington dc uh i've checked this in a number of different sites but well over 70 percent of the registered voters in washington dc are registered democrats right all right uh only 4% of the registered voters are Republican in Washington, D.C. All right, so so that's 64% total, right? Or 74%. 74, uh, sorry. Yeah. So, what's, so what's the other uh, 26%? Are they just independent? Independents or whatever. Wow, only 4% are Republican? That's what the story is. So here's the other thing. The judge in this case, who has a certain say in the jurors, he was an Obama appointee. Yeah. All right. So the, it was stacked against uh, uh, the, the the Durham case uh, here. But here's the thing, folks. When Donald Trump talked about swamp, uh, he, he really didn't mean it. It is a swamp in Washington, D.C. Add to the registered voters, you have a very biased media. Let me give you an example of the coverage of the Sussman trial. Uh, they covered... Uh, uh, the Associated Press covered the initial day, and and there was some interesting testimony, and they covered what the defense put up, uh, some of the witnesses. What they did not cover, and what didn't even make the story yesterday, was that I think on uh, the third day of the trial, uh, was uh, brought to the stand was Robbie Mook, right. a Clinton campaign chair advisor. Robbie Mook confirmed, as part of the questions, he confirmed that Hillary Clinton signed off on the idea that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. Right. All right? She signed off on that. He testified to that. And so, and that goes beyond this trial, folks. This goes to, and we can talk about this in a moment, this goes to the whole uh, two-year investigation by Robert Mueller. It's it's amazing. We got a not guilty verdict yesterday, but it does open up a whole lot to us as to the whole Robert Mueller, what happened to the Trump administration for four years. Right. It was swamp-infested from the beginning. I have to remember, this visit by Michael Sussman to the FBI took place in mid-September, roughly. 
during that period, you know, during that visit, he called his uh, a friend at the FBI on Sunday night and said, I'm coming over to your office tomorrow. I got something really interesting for you. Well, the defense during the trial was that he, the Sussman did not tell the FBI that he worked for the Clinton campaign. Right. But he billed the hours that he spent at the FBI to the Hillary Clinton campaign. That evidence, yeah, their law firm. That evidence was presented right. at the trial. Uh, Hillary Clinton paid for the taxi drive. Over. I mean, all of this was there. This, this jury decision was in defiance of the facts. And that's why, you know, people like J. Christian Adams and we may pay uh, Fox's Greg Jarrett in mm-hmm. a second. Uh, this, this was a goner. But there's another serious side to this that we have to mention. 70% plus registered Democrats. Uh, so the chance that you're going to have a fair jury. Maybe now you understand why so many people have been arrested with regards to January 6th and why those people, many of them, are sitting in a jail cell in Washington, D.C. without having had a trial. We're a year and four months, five months past January 6th. Right. Some of them don't have their trial set until July of this year. This is unheard of. Yeah. And what chance... It seems to me it's clearly unconstitutional. Yes. As well. So what chance do these people have when they do go to trial of finding a jury that's not going to be biased? Yeah, constitutionally, they're, they're supposed to have a fair and speedy trial. Yes. And that's not what is uh, happening to them. And, 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 and I think you got it exactly right. I didn't realize that – I'm not surprised at the 70 percent registered mm-hmm. Democrats. I am surprised at the 4 percent registered Republican. But – this goes to, and your point is valid when it comes to juries, but it's also why the swamp uh, is all also about these alphabet agencies who are staffed um, administration after administration. Doesn't matter if it's a Republican president or a Democratic president. The people who live in Washington D.C., who live in Northern Virginia, Maryland, any of those places, and commute. These are all, almost all, the vast majority are Democrats. Yes. And it doesn't matter who the president is, they're going to do what Democrats do, and they're going to advance Democratic policies at their jobs yes. in these big agencies, mm-hmm. and it, and or they'll slow walk Republican orders, yep. regulations, until another administration comes in. That's what, pres- that's what candidate Trump meant when he called Washington, D.C., the swamp. And it is why he had to fight tooth and nail for the entirety of his administration, starting in the first week when conversations with foreign leaders were leaked. You remember this? Yes. Uh, So this is, I'm not sure how you break that apart because Washington, D.C. basically runs the country. But uh, it's, it's a, this trial is evidence of the fact that at this point, in our history, the swamp runs the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to uh, to Fred's point here uh, with the Greg Jarrett audio, let's do this one now. Cue, we're going to cue it up. Uh, this is Fox News legal and political analyst Greg Jarrett uh, saying on television that the Sussman jury was stacked against the prosecution. Clip two. As soon as the jury was picked, I said on our air that this case is headed for jury nullification. 
which is when a jury decides to ignore the facts and the evidence, repudiate the rule of law, and perversely acquit a guilty person for partisan political reasons. And that's precisely what happened. This was a jury that was stacked with Hillary Clinton supporters and, believe it or not, Hillary Clinton campaign donors. And, of course, the campaign paid for Michael Sussman, the defendant's uh, peddling of phony information to the FBI. In other words, think of it this way. Money from the pockets of some of the jurors went into the pockets of the defendant. So how in the world mm -hmm. they were not disqualified is utterly confounding. But the judge appointed by Obama said, oh, gee, I, it's fine. They can serve, wink, wink, to the defense table and thus the result. Well, we're going to have uh, Abraham Hamilton the mm -hmm. third on at 1030 because that's, this is one of the questions I want to ask him. Is there a way, obviously the, the judge, as Greg Jarrett was pointing out, uh, listen, I don't want to slander. It was, I don't even know if it was a man or was it a man, the, the judge, a I man believe, or a woman? I believe okay. so. I don't want to slander the individual. I know nothing about him. Obviously, he didn't even know what uh, sex the, the judge was. But um, uh, so I, I don't want to make assumptions about what he was thinking. Uh, you know, I would hope that a judge who's appointed by any president would fulfill his or her duty um, in a way that, you know, is representative of, of integrity and ethic, you know, being ethical. Yes. Um, but it all looks very suspicious when you hear this laid out this way. So I want to ask Abe when he comes on um, in just a, a few minutes, uh, it, you know, was there something, let's say the judge was ethical and was not biased and was doing a fair and impartial job as judge in this trial, is there a way for a, a Clinton donor to be stricken from the jury even past that number of uh, opportunities that the prosecutor has? So that'll be a question. Yeah, it for, does for appear the, uh, the judge in the case was a male, a uh, federal judge, Christopher Cooper. Okay. Of course, I'm not a biologist, so I, neither I am I. I. I don't know if I can even Listen, define what I a got male a BA is. in communication. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm an expert in many fields. All right, what else? What else? We anything else, Fred, that you wanted to talk about in this story? No, just to go back. Uh, what's also disturbing, and I, I think I just alluded to this a moment ago, but um, when we had this two-year investigation by Mueller, Mueller was aware of everything that we heard during this trial. Yes. Yet it went on for two years. Yeah, and you know what? He this another another point that we made at the time. He had like seventeen attorneys yes. were all Clinton fans. Yes, that yes. were working for him in his investigation. Yes. So you're, what you're saying is, that why did it take two years if he knew this was all exactly. a bunch of baloney? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, 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 you are right in terms of former President Trump. He called it. Yes. He called it from the, the moment he said, I'm being spied upon mm -hmm. by par portions of the intelligence apparatus in our nation, that all this was lies. I, 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 he, he, he nailed it each and every time. Yeah. And, and this is why, to this day, just to go back to January 6th, media reports are still after Trump, that Trump is hiding something, that he cooked something up, that he caused the... Uh, commotion at, ca at, at at the Capitol on January the 6th. Uh, this is why this commission that's been set up uh, by Nancy Pelosi, 
that's why I keep saying there's there's no credibility to this. This is a political charade. Uh, you're now going to get, I think, some public hearings by this commission through the summer. It's all about timing for the right. November election. Right. Then there's going to be a big report that will come out on all this. If I was a betting man, the big report will come out about September or so. Yeah, and and I, listen, if the Republicans take over the House, yes, you're going to see more hearings. Oh yes, on this, you get the other side. Let me ask you something, Fred, because you mentioned this, and we've talked about this how how distressing it is that our that the federal government, that Washington D.C., whoever's in charge of some of these uh, charges against folks that were at the January sixth uh, protests. Okay, and whatever you whatever you want to call them, I, I I clearly don't think it was an insurrection. Okay, but uh, so we're probably going to be banned. Uh, who cares? <laughs> we're going to have our streaming our our <laughs> streaming platform at some point, and we won't have to worry about it. Or we don't worry, but we don't want to even have to joke about it. So let me ask you this: these people who be, have been kept in jail. Yes, I mean we're we're talking about people who kill people in D.C. and New York City places being out quicker. Yeah. All right. So do you think these will actually ever go to trial? Because here's my suspicion that the prosecution um, does not want discovery on the part of the defense attorneys. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't want to have FBI agents questioned and say, did you open the door? The doors for people to come into the Capitol yes. and let them come in. Yes. How many people did you actually see? Doing anything illegal or, yeah. or most of the people in there peacefully mm -hmm. looking around inside the Capitol. I'm not, I'm not sure these things will ever go to trial. Probably not. And that's why it goes back to the, uh, the politics of the commission. I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, the commission wants these open hearings. They'll call their selected people and, you know, the major networks will all cover it live. And then there'll be this special report just before the election to ramp up the accusations of insurrection, anti-Trump, and any Republican who has been endorsed by Trump during the primary season, right. watch that to be all part of it. This this is just an act. Yeah. This this is the Justice Department and the House that is weaponized against political enemies. And, and one of the other questions I would like answered is. Were there FBI agents yes. in the crowd, yes. mm -hmm. undercover, yes. instigating mm -hmm. violence? Yes. Well, we, we've we've seen some video. We have heard people testifying about the fact that there were individuals in there who did not seem to be like a part of the crowd. So, I mean, all those are questions yep. that you could ask. Yes. If you're defending your client, and you could you could say, "Hey, listen, we have video of you, FBI agent at." The protests at the Capitol. And Boy, here's what you're on camera saying. And that's going to be really interesting should Republicans take over the House and have hearings to call in that FBI agent that's been shown in that video and swear him in. What were your orders? Yes. What were you told to do? Were you there all by yourself? Who or told, told you to do it? Exactly. More to come. All right. Chris? What's next? Uh, well, uh, today is the uh, the beginning of what is often referred to as LGBTQIA plus Pride Month. Um, and one of the people that has kind of become the face of the movement is uh, Will Thomas. That is the male swimmer up in Pennsylvania. Uh, he identifies as a female and wants to be called Leah. 
uh, but he was born Will, and many people still call him Will. Uh, so Will sat down with uh, Good Morning America for what was largely a, a feel-good uh, interview, and um, Will addressed uh, his Olympic aspirations. He wants to go to the Olympics and compete along with his female peers. Uh, that, of course, got a lot of people talking. You did, you did air quotes around I did. that, by the way. <laughs> well, female, they're actually biological female peers. He's a man yes. uh, competing against females. But anyway, um, I've got some audio here from uh, one of the more outspoken people on this issue, Clay Travis over at OutKick. Also has a radio show now with Buck Sexton and uh, what used to be Rush Limbaugh's time slot. But OutKick's Clay Travis uh, told Fox and Friends earlier today that Many of Will Thomas's female t- uh, teammates were uncomfortable in the locker room, and they were upset in the pool, but they were afraid to say anything and be accused of being uh, bigots or haters, things like that. Clip seven. In most every state in the union, if a man enters a women's locker room, that's a crime. And so uh, talking to these female competitors uh, who were on the Penn's women's uh, swimming team, they don't feel comfortable in their own locker room because there is a man in there getting changed. And worse than that, you've probably seen, I mean, several of these women reached out and spoke to OutKick anonymously. They're terrified to have any measure of criticism about this because these women are afraid of being branded as transphobic just because they want to compete against other women. One of the things I think people don't realize about Clay Travis is that he is an attorney by profession. He's also a radio personality and has written a bunch of books. Many of them are sports related. So I think it just, it adds to his argument there that it's a crime for you to be in these places. It's not just some guy that doesn't like the issue. Well, but he knows the issue. The problem is it's a crime if you're a man. And what these people are pretending is that Will Thomas is not a man. Right. That he's Princess Leah. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. That was a that was a cheap Star Wars joke. You scruffy looking yes. uh, anyway. Wookie. Okay. Uh, so that that's the problem is they are pretending that he's not really a man in a woman's locker room. And Fred, I got to tell you, for these girls who real girls yeah. who are uh, young women who are on the the Penn University of Penn swim team, they're not just worried about their swimming career; they're worried about when they go into the uh, the public sphere to get a job that yeah. their name's going to show up as being transphobic. And if you want to work in corporate America oh, yeah. today, you're you're going to get shut down if they do a quick uh, Google search and find out that you were outed as being one of those women who complained about Will Thomas being on the swim team. Well, I, there are a couple of things that amaze me about this. Where are the feminists in this country who have been out protesting in the streets for women's rights? They're silent. Apparently, to the... The, the feminist leaders in this country, these women who swim for Penn, Penn State, on the, on the team there, mm-hmm. have no rights. They have no rights. They have to just put up with this man being in their change room. And then there is, to your point, they're scared to say anything because it might jeopardize their future career. I mean, this is where we are in this country. Yeah. It is absolutely amazing. And... For those who say we need to follow the science, whether it's the pandemic or whatever the case may Climate be. Climate change. You're not following the science. Right. You're following a political narrative that is endangering women in this country. And they're not speaking up. And I hope people, a lot of people, 
on the left side of the political spectrum or right side. Remember that when you go to the polls in November. Well, it seems to me that it uh, that Will Thomas has a pretty good shot at being on the U.S. Oh, yeah. women's swim team and representing our country in the Olympics yeah. during women's swimming events. Mm -hmm. It's happened in a lot of other sporting events, so they're going to allow this in swimming. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have uh, uh, Abraham Hamilton III will be with us, and we'll have more news about what's happening here in abroad. Please stay with us. What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God, and our role is that of a trusted manager. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Well, after two years of COVID shutdown, Israel is open for business again. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. And you know, my wife, Allison, and I, we've been leading tour groups to Israel now for 20 plus years. And we're going to be joined by our sons, Wesley and Walker, as the family tradition continues in 2023. And we would love for you to come along with us. The trip is in March 2023. The dates, the cost, the itinerary, everything you need to know is at TWHolyLand.com. That's TWHolyLand.com. It's going to be a wonderful experience to travel with Christians from across the country to Israel and see the land where Jesus walked, where the Bible comes to life. Again, visit TWHolyLand.com for all the information. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Major League Baseball is dealing with its own Colin Kaepernick situation. Gabe Kapler, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, says he will no longer come out for the national anthem, says he doesn't feel comfortable about the direction of the country. Kapler's decision comes just days after a Texas gunman slaughtered 19 children and two adults while police stood down for nearly an hour. Kapler unleashed on a blog post wondering whether the United States is the land of the free and the home of the brave. The truth is we are the land of the free, and Mr. Kapler is free to be thoroughly misinformed. You see, the problem in our nation is not the guns. There are plenty of laws on the books. The problem is the laws are not enforced. Now, it's okay to have a dissenting opinion, but at least take the time to make sure it's an informed dissenting opinion. Otherwise, you're just popping off like a foul ball. By the way, my new book, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation, you can get a copy right now at ToddStearns.com. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. American Family Radio. This is Today's Issues. 
Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And welcome back, folks. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I'm joined in studio by Fred Jackson and Chris Woodward. And uh, on Wednesdays, as often as we can, as often as his schedule will allow, we love to have Abraham Hamilton III on with us. He's general counsel for AFA and host of the Hamilton Corner, heard weekdays at 5 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. It's a very popular show, folks. You ought to check it out. If you can't, you can go to AFR.net, and we have a drop-down menu for podcasts, and you can listen to podcasts of Abe's show at your convenience. He always deals with the, I would say, some of the most controversial issues of the day. does a great job of it. Again, the popular, this show is very popular. Abe, welcome back to Today's Issues. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Abe, I'm going to start off with a question, and then if uh, Fred and Chris have a question, uh, we, uh, they can feel free to ask. This is about the Michael Sussman trial and the breaking news uh, late yesterday, uh, about uh, about midday, I think, um, about the fact that Michael Sussman was found not guilty. So here's my question as we find out some things about and We talked about this in the last segment. As we find out some of the issues and the, uh, the ties of members of the jury, uh, the judge, as we mentioned uh, last uh, segment, was an Obama appointment. But I, I, I don't know the individual, you know, know nothing about him, so I'm not going to slander the man and say that automatically disqualifies him. But some of these jurors were donors to the Hillary Clinton campaign, <laughs> And that would include Michael Sussman getting paid out of that fund. So walk us through for just a moment about the process that defense attorneys and prosecutors go through when they're picking and selecting a jury, because you were involved in this as a prosecutor in both New Orleans area and then the Houston, Texas area. And then what can you do once you go past the number of jurors you can strike what what can you do if you find out that a juror that remains on the jury donated to the campaign that paid the defendant's <laughs> salary walk us through all that yeah so and i talked about this on my show last night uh, quite a bit uh because most people are familiar with the term jury selection but it's kind of a misnomer when you when you practice uh trial law and any trial lawyer can tell you this it's actually a process of d selection uh, with any American citizen you get your summons to appear as a uh, to do jury duty which what you're actually responding to is a summons to be a part of what's called a veneer that is the group of people from which a jury will be impaneled and so in this deselection process because you know both sides the attorneys don't get to say okay I want this one I want number 10 I want 15 no it's actually a D selection process and so you have a combination of several ways to eliminate uh, those veneer men from being impaneled as a jury. When you uh, take the oath and you're one of the 12 jurors, if it's 12, uh, a case where there's 12 jurors and if there are alternates involved, once you are sworn in by the judge, then you are then impaneled as a jury. But before you get to that point, it's a process that takes place. It's called voir dire. And what happens in that process, both sides get to examine veneer men to see whether or not they will be fit to serve. And so you have a combination of what's called peremptory strikes, 
So this is a set number of strikes that both attorneys for both sides can use to eliminate prospective veneer men. Then once you have exhausted all of your peremptory strikes, and let me say this, peremptory strikes can be used for any reason whatsoever. You don't, I mean, you don't like the hair color. You don't like the nail polish. They can be used for, for any reason whatsoever, just as long as, as they are not subject to what's called a Batson challenge to where it's, it's some type of prejudice, uh, partiality, racism, anything like that being employed. Uh, but peremptory, you have a set number. Both sides have the same number. Once you get exhaust your peremptory strikes, both sides have an inexhaustible number, what's called cause strikes. Strikes for cause are utilized based on an established set of legal bases that you you say that based on this that has been elicited from the veneerman, this has revealed their inability to serve as impartial jurors in this case. I have never seen a situation where you have a case that clearly includes political charging like, oh, I don't know, the lawyer for the Hillary Clinton campaign uh, to where them being contributors to the campaign wouldn't be considered as a factor that would disqualify them. So you had not one, but you have two uh, Hillary Clinton donors on the jury. And then you also have an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez donor on the jury, which is remarkable to me that the judge allowed that to happen. In addition to the exclusion of certain things of evidence. But before you even get to that, uh, the process of, of voir dire uh, in the jury selection process, television never reflects this, but it is the most important portion of any trial. The reason why that is the case is that if you impanel a jury that is predisposed either against or for any particular set of evidence, then it doesn't matter the quality of the evidence. The jury's predisposition will prevail. And I really, truly believe that that is what happened in this case. When you have something as simplified as did you tell Mr. Baker, when you met with him, that you were meeting in your private capacity, or did you say that you were representing a client? You never said you represented a client, but then you have evidence submitted at trial that shows the very meeting that you had with Mr. Baker, you billed the Clinton campaign for, you were clearly working for a client when you had this meeting. So if you have a jury that's predisposed against that evidence, it doesn't matter what the evidence has presented at trial. All right, Abe, so let me just... Uh, clarify something and then uh fred and chris you guys jump in here um so when you have this inexhaustible supply of striking jurors for cause who makes mm -hmm. the judge makes the determination mm -hmm. both sides make their arguments Bingo. so that's, that's right. what happens when you that's exactly right so when you have a strike for cause and what what usually happens is after you've exhausted your peremptory strikes you have a cause strike different judges do it differently i've had judges to where you do cause strikes at the bench and the lawyer has to argue, let's say, for example, oh, I don't know, uh, Judge Juror number 15, it's been revealed that they're a donor to the Hillary Clinton campaign. Because of the evidence offered in this trial, that presents a, a likely impossibility to be impartial in assessing whether or not the Clinton campaign's attorney could be guilty of this crime. Then the opposing side would argue, ah, I don't think they're partial because of this. Sometimes the judges will give you a chance to rehabilitate that juror to say, hey, well, yeah, I, I donated to the Clinton campaign, but that doesn't mean that I'm just going to give a, a free pass to anybody just because uh, they happen to work for the Clinton campaign. And then the judge would have to evaluate whether or not that juror seems to be telling the truth or whatever. And then the judge will ultimately make the, make the decision as whether or not those jurors would be struck. In this case, I know for a fact that those arguments were made and the judge said, nah, I think they can be impartial and allow them to be impaneled on the jury. Wow. 
Uh, it was right here. Uh, that's why a lot of people said before this trial began uh, that Durham's team really doesn't have a chance. Uh, we talked about earlier that uh, 70% of the registered voters in D.C. Uh, are Democrats. Uh, that's there. So it's it's going to be in a politically charged case like this one, uh, Durham was up against it. Durham's team was up against this right from the beginning. Well, they were. I mean, there's a, a, a particular portion of evidence where you have a case like this where the charge is one count. It's the exact same charge that uh, General Flynn was charged with, Title 18, U.S. Code 1001. Uh, when you have a situation like this, juries, because we're human beings, to assess whether or not, well, it's a lie, almost everybody expects and anticipates having some type of motive. What happened in this case is that uh, the Durham team was forced to try this case without being able to present the contextual evidence before the jury. It was presented before the jury as if, you know, Sussman is just this one-off rogue attorney that just comes, I don't know, randomly appears and lies to the FBI as opposed to being able to offer the entire evidence that, no, Sussman was among, one among a cacophony of people who were contriving together to thwart then-candidate President Donald Trump, for example, July 28, 2016, <laughs> there was a meeting in the Oval Office to where Barack Obama was presented with evidence that said Hillary Clinton approved this scheme to tether Donald Trump to Russia to specifically take the attention away from her usage of the e illegal use of the email server. <laughs> Barack Obama approved of that and was notified that Hillary Clinton approved of it as well. And that three days later, after that July 28th meeting, is when the formal Russian collusion investigation began. Well, all of that evidence was excluded from the trial because what the Durham team wanted to present is that this lying to the FBI was a part of this larger scheme. Well, the judge prohibited admission of evidence of the larger scheme because he said, oh, that would confuse the jury. And I was like, what? That's not going to confuse the jury. It provides the context to help them to understand why this seasoned, high-profile, high-powered lawyer who's a partner at Perkins Coie, why he would be motivated to tell this lie. That was excluded from the trial, and so that was not something the jury was able to consider. You know, it, it, it's absolutely amazing to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, Abe. The jury finds uh, Sussman not guilty, even though during the trial— the records showed that he billed the meeting with James Baker to the Hillary Clinton campaign. He, he right. billed the time that he was talking to James Baker that he now denied that he was part of the Clinton campaign, yet he, he wrote a bill to the Hillary Clinton campaign for the time he spent with Baker. Uh, I mean, how does the jury then say, oh, gee, he didn't lie? Yeah. I, I, I which, just don't which understand. Which back to my first point. You had, you had James Baker testify in court. Yes. Michael Sussman, I know him. I, the only reason why I met with him, because we were friends. We worked together at the Department of Justice, and he told me that he wanted to meet with me, not because he's representing any client, but because he just wanted to help the Bureau. They were also able to admit into evidence a text message from Sussman to James Baker that says the exact same thing. I'm not representing anybody. I just want to help the Bureau. Then you have... The exact meeting that you have with James Baker, you're billing the Clinton campaign for it, which is showing you're working for the Clinton campaign as you're doing this. All of that was presented into evidence, yet the jury still says not guilty. 
which comes back to what I said at the very beginning. If you have a jury that's predisposed against a particular evidence, it doesn't matter what the quality of the evidence is. They don't want to hear it. Mm. Chris, you got anything to add? And then yeah, we'll, we'll let to make Abe sure go. to make sure I'm understanding everything correctly here. Can can this case and how it went be applied to the other cases or future cases that Durham might bring to court? In other words, attorneys might be able to say, "Well, you know, this and this happened in the Sussman case. You, the jury, should rule that way as well." No. No, no, you won't be able to do that. There'll be motions in limine or what they call to file to exclude that kind of uh, conclusion from being offered. Uh, but if there any testimony offered under oath in assessment trial can be used, depending on what witness, witnesses may testify in subsequent trials. But the conclusion of that trial can't be utilized as a basis um, to, to argue that because this guy was acquitted, all other persons should be acquitted as well. They won't uh, be able to make that argument. Hey, one one last question. We'll, we'll let you go. So. In, in your opinion, was this probably the uh, the best um, case that Durham had uh, and he was going to build off this? Or do you expect any other high-profile uh, charges to be filed against other people? I'm, I'm not really certain because I don't know all the evidence that he has. Okay. Um, I, 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 I know that he wanted to try to get this additional contextual evidence uh, into the proceedings in this particular case because juries clamor for that kinds of information. I, mean, I can tell you that I, I made it a practice and I've tried over 100 cases to jury verdict. Every time I tried a case, I would always go back and talk to the jury and ask them what did they expect, what did they like, what did they dislike, what kind of evidence. And because juries are human beings, context always makes a difference. If you're, you're evaluating just an individual, you can, I can imagine some juries, even that are not necessarily partial, to say, now why would this high-powered, wealthy attorney just decide randomly just to lie to his friend. And they have this question lingering in their minds, and the, the judge for, prohibited them, in this case, from being able to answer that question. Could the answer to that question have been something that could have aided a juror or two to move closer toward conviction? I think so. But again, that's just my opinion. Uh, but in terms of subsequent prosecutions, uh, I, I honestly don't know because I, know what, I don't know what evidence the Durham team has. Yeah, okay. Hey, thanks, Abe. Appreciate it. Uh, look All forward right, to your you, show gentlemen. show tonight and uh, appreciate you being on with us here on today's issues. Thank you, Ed. That's Abraham Hamilton III, General Counsel for AFA. He's host of the Hamilton Corner, heard weekdays at 5 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Folks, you heard Abe. I mean, he brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to his program you need to check out the Hamilton Corner at 5 p.m. Central Time. That's the kind of expertise you get with uh, Abe. So, um, all right. You guys have anything else you want to add on on that discussion? It's it's pretty it's it's pretty amazing. I'm glad we had Abe on. That that uh, fills in some gaps mm -hmm. uh, in terms of being able to strike additional jurors for cause and what an important part a judge plays especially if he's an Obama appointee. And I will just toss this out. If you're a juror who gave to the Clinton campaign and this Michael Sussman verdict could affect Hillary Clinton's decision to run in 2024, I don't know how you don't strike those jurors. Yeah. That's I, th cool. I think there's a warning in this case also. If you happen to visit Washington, D.C. and go to a Republican meeting, Make sure you don't drop any gum wrappers on the ground. Yeah. Your case, if your case goes to court, 
you're guilty. Yes. And you'll and you'll go to jail. I, mm-hmm. I mean, Trump. Uh, I don't agree with all the language he used, his attitude sometimes. But to go back to where we were talking about it a little while ago, Trump was right. Washington D.C. is a swamp. Yeah. And don't expect Washington D.C. to act like most of the rest of the country. Yeah. Uh, you're in a different world in Washington D.C. Uh, you know, I remember when. Uh, Trump first got into office, and who was his uh, attorney general pick from Alabama? Oh, you're talking about Jeff, uh, Sessions. Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions. It'll go down in history as one of the biggest political mistakes. He recused himself. He handed you're all exactly of, right. He handed all of this over to the ethics committee at the Justice Department, which was made totally up of Democrat lawyers. Yeah. And they, they just took this, and I'm sure they knew a lot of the background to all of this, and said, yes, we need a Robert Mueller investigation. It was a gift. It really was a gift from Jeff oh. Sessions oh. to the Democrats for the almost the entirety of the remainder of Trump's administration. Yes. Uh, and listen, if there was anybody I would have trusted, it would have been Jeff Sessions. I know. To be honest and forthright. In his investigation, listen. I, we've talked about it on on this program, and I think a number of politicians have made this suggestion. But it's time to break up Washington D.C. Mm. and farm out these big alphabet agencies. Oh yes, you send the Department of Education somewhere to some state, the Department of the Interior. You've got to you've got to break up the stranglehold that the, that 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 swamp has on yeah. Federal politics. When, when you when your department has the word interior on it, you need to be in the middle yes. of the country. <laughs> That's not, right. Not thousands of miles away from the farmland that your bureaucratic policies dictate. Yeah, because it that uh, that reality of the swamp in Washington D.C. and the seventy percent Democrats, four percent Republicans, uh, that is going to affect that affects Virginia politics because a lot of those people. Oh, yeah. Have you know live in the uh, upper the northern reaches of the state? Uh, so anyway, I, I don't know if that if you'll ever find someone who'd be strong enough to pull that off. Breaking up it'd be great for the economies of the states where you send those yeah. big agencies, but it it will it will kind of break into pieces that um, monolithic democratic stronghold, which is our nation's capital. My opinion, anyway. All right, all right, Chris. One of the uh, big topics that uh, we've been covering and will presumably continue to cover is inflation. Not everybody's excited about it, but it is something you need to be aware of because it is impacting you listeners on how much you're paying for food, gas, utilities, all that stuff. Haven't noticed. Now, you can all take comfort in the fact that Joe Biden has a plan for fighting inflation. And that's not me saying it. That's his op-ed this week. In uh, Wall Street Journal, Joe Biden, my plan for fighting inflation. I had a story on this. Rusty Pugh aired it earlier. Well, uh, this let me morning. just interrupt and say he's got a plan for inflation, all right, causing it. <laughs> yes. Well, and also blaming other people for anything yes. bad that happens. Point. Point. Uh, here's an example. Here, literally in the second sentence of his op-ed, my pa- my plan for fighting inflation. Joe Biden says inflation is elevated exacerbated by Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. So literally second sentence of his four-page op-ed, he blames Vladimir Putin for all of our problems, which is interesting because 
It was uh, a year, year and a half ago that Joe Biden took to Twitter to say, I won't, as president, blame other people. I'll take responsibility. He, Which, he, was, he was taking a shot at President Trump. He was. Who frequently blamed other people. Yes. And, and often right, rightfully so. Right. I, I will say this uh, in defense of the current president, Joe Biden. He is, he is correct that, that the war in Ukraine is contributing to some of Absolutely. the inflationary that is, pressure that, is that we're feeling. But it all started, inflation started, when he took office and began yeah. his declared war on right. fossil fuels. You know, there's a saying, two things can be true in this particular case. Right. Russia's actions in Ukraine have contributed to a whole host of problems. But also, uh, Joe Biden's spending spree since he uh, took the oath of office has also been uh, a big contributing factor. Uh, so let's begin here. Uh, I've got some audio of Fox News reporter Peter Ducey and his new White House frenemy, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, talking about Biden and whether he takes blame for some of the inflation problems. Clip five. Does President Biden take any responsibility for his policies potentially contributing to <laughs> inflation? His policies has helped the economy get back on its feet. That's what his policy has his policies has done. Um, this, when we talk about the gas prices right now, this is indeed Putin's gas hike. This is what we have seen in the most recent months of, of what we've seen at the gas pump. And so that is a fact. We have seen about 60% increase uh, uh, in the past several months and because of uh, the amassing and his invasion of Ukraine. And so the president, his goal right now and what he is frustrated about is what the people, what the American people have to go through and what they are trying to deal with as they are, as they are, are around their kitchen table. So that is his focus right now. All right, Fred. So let me, let me say this. Um, first of all, she, she does, uh, Corrine, uh, Jean-Pierre. Everyone likes Pretending like they can speak French. I call her KJP. Okay, yes. I, I, I don't want to get confused with uh, KBJ, mm. who's uh, nominated for the Supreme Court. Um, but anyway, um, so he, she, I don't think she's a very good press secretary. Uh, maybe she'll grow into it a little bit and get a little better at deflecting, which is what a press secretary does. Uh, but that... Okay, so let me just say this: it 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 may very well be, and that's why I said that the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, uh, is uh, adding to some of the inflationary pressures. So let me ask you this: if we were betting men, which which we're not, but if we were, does that mean? Let's say you can, and you can, you can graph this and see the spike in prices. So sixty percent of it since the Ukraine war. So if you were a betting man, Fred, when this war is over, do you think the Biden administration will push for prices to come back down to where they were before the Ukraine war, the war in Ukraine? Or do you think they want to keep those prices artificially or otherwise high to push us towards the Green New Deal? I can answer that by quoting Joe Biden. All In right. fact, even better, mm -hmm. let's listen to what Joe Biden's plan is when it comes to America's fuel needs. Cut number six. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels. 
when this is over. Okay, that's different, isn't it? That's a By the way, that was a few weeks ago. That's not, you know, two years ago when he was campaigning. He was saying the high prices are because we're going through a transition. Mm-hmm. He didn't even mention Putin no. in that. He says we're going through a transition, and when we come through, it will be less dependent on fossil fuels. Exactly. All right, so we've talked about this before. Uh, first 24 hours in office, he killed Keystone. Uh, he's the pipeline. Also, yes, the pipeline. He has also denied further leases uh, on on uh, on land that has full of natural gas, oil, you name it, coal. He has declared war on fossil fuels. Right. Here's the thing. If Donald Trump was still in office, we would be energy independent still, as right. we were when he was in office. It wouldn't matter what's going on in Ukraine we would be have enough to take care of our own needs. Right. So, uh, you know, for, for the White House to try to spin this towards Putin, because of the initial policies of Joe Biden that he put in place deliberately when he first came into office, we were not ready for Putin's invasion and, the, and what that would cost us with regards to the availability of fossil fuels. It's, it's very simple, folks. In the Trump days, we had enough to fill everybody's gas tank. And uh, can you remember the prices back then? There might have been an elevation because of Putin, even if Trump was still in office. Right. But we wouldn't be looking at the prices we're looking at today. Right. We wouldn't have Donald Trump going to Venezuela saying, please, please, could you give us some oil and gas? Right. We wouldn't be going back to uh, the OPEC nations and saying, please, please, give us some oil and gas. We wouldn't be doing that. So for them to say it's all Putin's fault is a bold-faced lie. Well, and what's insidious, particularly insidious about this, is I think the radical left, which owns Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is willing part of the radical left, I think they like this pain. Sure they do. No one's going to convince me otherwise. They want it because they think our pain at the pump is a stepping stone to the Green New Deal and their vision for the world. Joe Joe calls it a transition. Folks, we're going to take a five-minute break for news. When we come back, more of today's issues. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.